This is And Another Thing with your hosts Jody Jenkins and Tony Clement. And Another Thing, the podcast that is breaking records around the world. Tony, I don't know if you heard this, but we are the greatest podcast in the world. Uh, Apparently the numbers are in. The Bureau of Broadcast Measurement has declared us the number one podcast. uh, Let me just say this, not surprised. I I think we can say that it's because of our superior skills in podcasting. So we have a very exciting guest. Yes, we do. Uh, She's a good friend of the show. Uh, First time on the show. She's a good friend of us. Probably knows you more than she knows me. But I will say this. Um, Out of two MPs have been in my house. Uh, Pierre Polyev has slept on my couch. And Michelle Rempel has been in my backyard. So there we go. So we are excited to welcome. I I think we should interview the couch next. (laughs) 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 Okay. Okay. Actually, Tony, I'm going to, because you were colleagues, I'm going to let you introduce Michelle. Well, we have MP Michelle Rempel on the podcast, the member of parliament for Calgary Nose Hill. It's still Calgary Nose Hill, isn't it? That's right. Yes, I got that right. And, of course, she was a colleague of mine during the Harper years and then in uh, four years in opposition and continues on as the member of parliament and is the critic for or the, I guess, the shadow minister for, Michelle, help me out here. Industry and economic development. Well, congratulations with your new shadow portfolio, Michelle, and welcome to the show. Let's give out a big round of applause. Oh, thank you. That's actually, that's actually so just jo- yeah. Jody and I clapping. But, uh, the, you know, the thought is there anyway. Michelle, uh, I want to get right to it because, of course, you are back in Parliament and I am not. So what's what's it like now? What's What are the differences between the last Parliament and this Parliament? Tell us a little bit about, uh, we're hearing all these rumors about Justin Trudeau changing his ways and being more conciliatory or or something to that effect. Tell us what it's like on the front lines. Well, willingly changing his ways and having like this big epiphany about how to not be, you know, as much of a jerk as he was in the last parliament is not the same as realizing he has to change his ways because the circumstances changed, right? And the reality is, is that he does not control parliament because he does not have the majority of seats. We're in a minority situation. And in fact, last night, the first vote in the House of Commons in this parliament the Conservative Party of Canada actually won, and it was a government-opposed vote. Um, so, so he has to have this new tone uh, because he has to negotiate with the opposition parties. And it was a great feeling. Um, so I do think that that is a big change. And as far as, like, the sincerity goes, you know, if, if Justin Trudeau had another majority mandate, I don't think there would be any talk of humility whatsoever. I think there would be, you know, victory dunking laps. And uh, I, I just think that this is a big change, but it might be out of necessity, not necessarily out of a massive change of heart. I can recall, uh, and you, you are aware of this, and our audience wouldn't be aware of it, but when we were in the House of Commons and you were asking questions in the last parliament, uh, you would do so in a very measured tone, and uh, you would, it would be very serious. There was no histrionics. And then, uh, you know, we, whoever was answering the question, whatever minister was answering the question, uh, Justin Trudeau would be lobbying, uh, lobbying, lobbying uh, various uh, comments and snide remarks across the floor. And it really, it really went to this narrative uh, of being a fake feminist. You recall those times because you were, uh, I won't say a victim, but you were the recipient 
of that kind of response from Mr. Trudeau. Is, has that been toned down as well? Well, I, I don't think that there's anything more that Justin Trudeau hates than a a woman who challenges him, right? Um, I don't like to talk about my gender because I just like to be awesome as a person. Um, but certainly that's an issue in the situation. Um, I, I don't think that when we come back in January and committees are being constituted and, you know, all the opposition parties are using the full levers of, par- like, every lever that we have in Parliament to, uh, you know, further um, different types of legislation, that this, 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 this happy, sunny ways will, uh, will be a principle that continues. Um, uh, not that it was really continuing this week. Um, and the other thing is, is like there's a lot of stuff that we now can ask for in a minority situation, right? Like, so all the issues related to SNC Lavalin, that the, all of the levers that the government used to hide behind on that are gone, right? We now have the power to collaborate with the other opposition parties and potentially compel documents, compel uh, certain public servants to testify. You know, maybe we can explore the question of whether or not cabinet privilege trumps parliamentary privilege in a cabinet or in a parliamentary committee so all sorts of interesting things it's sort of like yeah yeah it's sort of it's sort of like the u.s house of representatives congress which is now in the hands of the democrats and nancy pelosi all of a sudden a lot of those committees the judiciary committee and the intelligence committee kicked in to investigate uh, the president so it's a it's a similar situation where the opposition has control of the committee structures and can use it to investigate malfeasance Sure. Um, I don't want to, like, I very rarely comment about American politics, but I really don't think that we should be comparing the SNC-Lavalin scandal to anything that's happening in the U.S. right now, because I think that that would sort of conflate it uh, to the same level of, you know, partisan dialogue back and forth. What what happened with the SNC-Lavalin scandal is, is, is a pretty clear-cut accusation of interference in the independence of our judiciary, which is you know, a, a branch of the executive, or sorry, it's a branch of government that um, really is underpinning of our democracy. So I think that this is something that is worthy of measured uh, parliamentary study because there should be consequences for that if it happened. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of pundits have speculated about whether or not this is over for Trudeau, and I would say it's not. We have to get to the bottom of this, but at the same time also uh, make sure that we are, as parliamentarians, uh, responding to the many other issues that are pressing the country right now, be it you know the plethora of international relations issues or the economy or you know, national unity. And it's an, it's an exciting time, Tony. So uh, it's, it's a good time to be here, and uh, many of us will be plotting our strategies over the Christmas uh, recess. Michelle Rempel is our guest. She's an MP and spends, uh, I guess, the majority of your time in Ottawa. Is that true? The majority I of it? I am an Albertan. No, I know, true. but and I go you spend a lot of time weekend. in Ottawa. <laughs> you spend... Okay, <laughs> well, we do. Okay, but I would, I, the majority of your time is probably in Ottawa, though. When we sit, yes. yes. And when I don't have to be here, I am not here. Okay, How so, is that? Yeah, fair enough. So we're <laughs> going to play a little game because you've been in there for quite a, quite a few years. I want you to tell oh, me, God. I'm going to play a little clip. You tell me, is this the Prime Minister or is this someone doing an impression? Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. 
uh, we uh, always uh, have a uh, ongoing uh, conversation uh, with the uh, ethics commissioner uh, and uh, we uh, understand that we followed uh, all the proper rules. Trudeau or an impressionist? Impression, but a very good impression. <laughs> well done, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. You got that one. You yeah. got that one right. So that's congratulations. Can we uh, can we talk about Wexit a little bit here? Uh, you know, obviously this is an Ontario-based show, but we sure. we, we also, uh, we are a nationwide podcast. We had Brett Wilson on recently, by the way, and uh, he, we talked a little bit about cool. some of his uh, projects in Alberta. But to tell it from your perspective as an Albertan, obviously, but, and a Canadian, what what is the threat and what can we do about this? Sure. So I want to separate out Wexit, which is um, a group of people who are actually registering a political party um, from the uh, anger and sense of alienation that I think millions of Albertans are feeling. And uh, so, so I want to start by saying that. And I want to focus on the latter. Um, millions of Albertans are... They just feel like the country doesn't care about what's happening, right, and and what is happening. Uh, the federal government has precipitated an economic crisis in the, in the province by imposing legislation that has shut down one of our major industries, and that has resulted in I, the stat I saw was a 20% unemployment rate for men under the age of 25, one of the highest unemployment rates in the country writ large. And in my riding, I mean, people have lost their homes. I have calls into my office about women who want to talk about the fact that they are prostituting themselves because they, you know, can't make ends meet, um, high suicide rates. It is ridiculous, the situation. And it's because of the federal government's policies, full stop. And if this had happened in any other part of the country, you know, everybody would, would be lighting their hair on fire trying to fix it. And worse off, you know, we see, you know, trying to tie this issue to climate change as a bit of hypocrisy. We all have to do our part on climate change. But when the government is going, you know, to, to promote the auto sector, which I think they should, uh, and not talk about greenhouse gas emissions, people in my riding go, oh, you're a hypocrite. Same with the aerospace sector. Planes create greenhouse gas emissions. Or when someone's sitting in downtown Toronto and is filling their, you know, Humvee up with, uh, or whatever they drive up with, Saudi oil and driving to the climate change rally while having a kale smoothie, which components parts have been flown in from San Francisco when they're about to jet off to Florida the next week. There's a bit of a sense of like, come on, guys, we're either part of this country or we're not. And we're not even and I haven't even raised the equalization payment issue. So um, the job of a government and a prime minister in, in, a, in a country that's as geographically and regionally diverse as Canada is to put policy together that builds national unity. And that is the opposite. I mean, like, like Tony, you and I served under Stephen Harper in cabinet. You understood that was a key principle all the time, you know, in your time as Treasury Board President. Um, that is the opposite of what... And, and, and I asked for Alberta's support when we had to bail out the auto sector for Ontario. I know you did, right? Because you, you made the case of saying, we have to do things that are, you know, that build unity in the country. And that's why people are just they feel like they feel like a the rest of Canada doesn't care. B the rest of Canada supports Justin Trudeau in his mandate to punish the province, and there's a legitimate sense of people who say, you know what, I just we've tried this for 30 years, and after the you know the, the father tried to finish the job, 
And uh, people are legitimately looking at um, separatist parties or separatist sentiment as a way out. And I think that it is up to the federal government right now to, to realize how, how serious that is. And also not just Justin Trudeau, but every person who's listening to this and say, how do we, how do we come together? And that dialogue is not there under this prime minister. And uh, we, need to, we need to force him to, to, to deal with it. Or we have a serious problem on our hands. How was uh, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's recent visit to Ottawa? Was that helpful in this regard? I think it's really important. Um, I appreciate, and I'll, you know, I'll refer him to Jason because you and I have both known him for sure. so many years. I, I uh, with no disrespect intended, I, I really appreciate Jason coming out here because um, I think he, he was presenting the statesmanlike approach that um, was necessary to contrast how we've been treated by the federal government, right? Like Jason has actually said, like, okay, he stood up for the interests of Albertans. He's like, here's here's the list of things that we want to see from you. But at the same time, he's also, you know, he's carrying a big stick. Things like we want to withdraw from the CPP, uh, which would mean the Canadian Pension Plan, which would mean if Alberta did that, that, you know, maybe Canadians in the other parts of the country aren't retiring at 65. It could be 67 or 69, right? So I appreciate that Jason is coming with like sort of an olive branch approach, but also being very firm in saying one way or another, we are going to get a fair deal. And that is really where our federal conservative caucus is as well. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've taken some heat for being as blunt as I've been on this issue, but I have a mandate, you know, I got 70% in the election. That's an incredible mandate in an urban area. Uh, to, to, to speak up on these issues. And I just, I really hope anyone who's listening to your, your show um, approaches this issue beyond the disgusting talking points that I've heard, like, you know, Albert, Alberta had it coming to them and you guys are, your jobs are dirty. Come on, we have to, uh, that sort of rhetoric is what's fueling this crisis. And I, I think I have to put personal responsibility on every Canadian to say we have to, we have to come up with some sort of a compromise here. And uh, where we're at right now is uh, is a problem. Michelle Rempel is our guest. Uh, she's an MVMP for Calgary Nose Hill and joins us on And Another Thing. And Michelle, I'm just going to play the other side of, uh, well, I hate using the term devil's advocate, but you know, let's use Ontario as an example, a province where there's lots of people that are struggling and, and down on, on their luck. And you know, you, you, I, I certainly can understand the stories that you're telling us from out west but what about people that say yeah tell me something that i haven't gone through like why should we what what does it matter help me so i and what do you say to those people here's the fundamental difference um and and first of all i want to start off by saying uh there there are many policies that trudeau's put in place including the anti-energy sector stuff that has affected the entire country right affordability is an issue there's higher taxes you know economic uncertainty Anybody who's struggling across the country deserves a fair deal. Here's the big problem with Alberta that's different from the rest of the country. The Trudeau government is the problem here. They, it's, it's punitive policies that the federal government has put in place to curtail the growth of the energy sector, right? Mm. So, like, imagine if a congruent example would be if Trudeau put in place regulations that prevented auto sector sector workers from building cars or said that you know we want to phase out the auto sector in 10 years or lobster fishermen in atlantic canada right 
you know, saying we want to shut down that, that particular industry over the next 10 years. That's the difference here, is that it is a crisis that has been precipitated by policies put forward by the Liberal government. And so for somebody who's saying, well, you know, um, geez, you know, I'm down on my luck too. We've got to fix your situation. But a strong Alberta means a strong Canada. And this is a crisis of Justin Trudeau's making. So, you know, this is really where I do feel like this has to be a question for somebody who's in the greater Toronto area or in Digby, Nova Scotia or in, you know, Victoria, British Columbia. These are all questions that if we're going to be a country and unified, uh, we all have to be in this together and uh, we can't turn our backs on on an area that's suffering for, for no reason other than federal government policy. And the dialogue has to be there. Absolutely. I, I agree with that, Michelle. I've got to ask you, I've noticed uh, in some of your postings recently that you, uh, I guess in your new role as uh, shadow minister, you've, you've taken aim at uh, pri- uh, privacy concerns and stats can role, stat can, Statistics Canada's role in, uh, in perhaps uh, invading uh, Canadians' privacy. Talk a little bit about that. And I, I want to I preface this question with the, the, the thank you that perhaps I was uh, eight years ahead of my time with raising concerns about StatsCan when I was industry minister, but I'm glad to see that this is a, a continuing debate. So, Michelle, what, what's going on there? Okay, so I'm going to simplify the issue, because like when we talk about privacy and Statistics Canada, sometimes people are like, okay, fast forward, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I want to make it real to somebody who's listening to this show, right? Somebody who's searched out this podcast and is listening to it right now, they've created a digital footprint for themselves, right? Uh, based on the platform. Shh, don't tell you know. people that. Yeah. Scare them away. No, but, but seriously, <laughs> though, right? Like any, anytime you like a Facebook post or you, you know, spend some time on an Instagram photo or you make an online purchase, you are creating a digital footprint for yourself that has monetary value to companies. So we have to start looking at data and privacy as, as the same way as, as work, right? Like if, if, if someone who's listening to this is going into the office and their employer all of a sudden said like, well, I don't feel like I should pay you for this, nobody would come back into the office and it's illegal to do that. So why is something that has productive value, which is, you know, somebody's digital footprint, just being used with impunity for monetary value without any consent, broadly speaking, okay. And that's the conversation that we need to have in Canada. And I think, you know, the conversation around regulating this space has just been so uh, just like, okay, boomer, right? Um, the, the European Union has put forward legislation. This is the legislation that if you look at an EU website where it says accept this cooking, you're like, yes, yes, I just want to read this, this, this article or whatever. Um, that doesn't address the situation. Neither does antitrust legislation to break up Facebook. That's not the solution. I, you know, I want to say something really bold. What if we had a free market economy for data where people get to choose the value of their privacy? 
and you know somebody listening to the show, Tony, you might be even being like, whoa, that's really out there, Rempel. But I think we need big ideas in this space. I think we need to explore them. We have to give some power back to the individual because right now, obviously, let's be realistic. You do have a choice. You You can choose not to be part of Facebook. You can choose not to be part of Twitter. You can choose not to order on Amazon. But the fact is, uh, you're you're no longer part of society, uh, and if you do if you make all of those choices, so really it's not a real choice for the average individual consumer. Right, and and again, being on Facebook has value to Facebook, right? Like they can come up with a profile of you with you know a certain number of likes, and I don't think it's that many. And, you know, that allows, there's so many other applications that Facebook owns that allows them to advertise you or sell your data. I mean, even think of it, if somebody's listening to this and they're wearing a Fitbit right now. Oh, yeah. You know, people, people have your, you know, companies have your heart rate at different times of the day and your sleeping habits. And um, I just. I'll, I'll t- I want to tell a story in the, in the mid- middle of this interview because I, I, I had this happen recently where I was on a social media platform. And up popped an ad for a Star Wars ugly Christmas sweater and impulse. Buying. You bought it. I, I did. I did. I bought it for like 60 bucks and, and, it, and it did <laughs> arrive. And uh, I've got this, uh, you know, Ice World Hoth uh, Star Wars Christmas sweater for like for the next three weeks. All I got were my, on my pop up ads were Christmas sweaters. Uh, you know, so clearly that's how it works, right? That's the monetization of, of the of the consumer choices I made. And all of a sudden, everybody who's selling a Christmas, there was a Led Zeppelin Christmas sweater and there was a, <laughs> there was a Star Trek Christmas sweater. Yeah. So that's just a small, innocuous but, example, but it's but that's that's t- making your point. Briefly, too, it's not just about Facebook or it's not just about the monetization angle. It's it's Statistics Canada, like. Does do you does should the government have access to all of your financial transactions? Should the government should the government be able to monitor you at this level, right? And those are questions that we have not answered. Uh, you know, the privacy commissioner this week made a huge deal about the Statistics Canada sort of plan to monitor financial transactions. That's scary stuff, right? Like then we start talking about other governmental regimes that do this, and there's a chilling effect here. So I think this parliament, minority parliament, this is a space that's not bleedingly partisan, right? This is the time to have a big idea conversation, and I'm super excited to lead that conversation in our industry committee, and I think we're going to run circles around Trudeau on this. So it's really cool. Michelle Rempel is our guest. Before we let you go, Michelle, you have a choice. We have two envelopes. Each envelope contains a question. Uh, you can answer a question about Andrew Shear or a question about wine. Which one do you choose? Um, so in terms of ethics commissioner rules, <laughs> I am dictated to not accept gifts in envelopes. It's not a gift. It's not a gift. It's so a question. I choose, uh, I choose out of ethics responsibilities uh, an, an opportunity to say we had a great week in Parliament I don't think that we should be focusing on drama. Uh, there's a lot of people in my riding that n- need us to tone down the drama and need us to get back to work. Do we need to, you know, digest what happened in the campaign? Yes. Um, but, you know, I don't want to even have the appearance of playing games on this stuff. 
Um, I do love wine. I will make that as a caveat. Um, but look, um, we're, we're here. We're back to work. We have a convention in April uh, to deal with questions. And, um, you know, I, I respect the fact that my leader is our party leader, Andrew Shear. We had a great week in the House of Commons. And I'm going to focus on that. And that's my politician answer. Wow, that was, wow. I, I got to give you credit for that one. I mean, that one. Geez, I thought Not I gave some good answers. Rodeo, I, yeah. <laughs> very well so. played. Very well played. Michelle Rappel, thank, thank you so you. much for being on And Another Thing podcast. We'd love to have you back at some point. See you guys later. All right, take Bye. care. Bye. So there you have it. She is like uh, the consummate politician. No, she's great. And, she's good. And she's very on top of her files. And uh, she's got always has something to say. So I'm really looking forward to her role in the 43rd Parliament. I was just thinking, you haven't done And Another Thing. I in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and do you I, have one? I do have one. I do have one. I, 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 I got a, I've been fixated by Baby Yoda, like the rest of the world. Uh, from The Mandalorian. The yes. Mandalorian, Disney Plus, uh, Star Wars show. The Baby Yoda has popped up on so many memes. He, it basically, uh, he or she or it is the meme king. And uh, great marketing by Disney. And uh, apparently, at one point, uh, Baby Yoda was trending higher than any of the 2020 U.S. Democratic Party candidates. That doesn't so. surprise me at all. <laughs> There's no no surprise there. But, you know, how smart was it for Disney to have, you know, they've got this stark uh, character, the Mandalorian, who's this bounty hunter like Boba Fett, who always has his uh, his helmet on. So no very hard to emote. And then they create this cute little character. Not really a baby, though. 50 years old, apparently. Apparently, he's 50 years old, but acts like a baby, although he's, he's sipping Sanka or some sort of coffee or and eating frogs on occasion. Well, and here's the thing, too. By the time this episode airs, we may already know the payoff on what Baby Yoda is all about. I know. It, it's true. So, But the fact is, this has become, you know, we, we talk about pop culture. This has really vaulted Star Wars back into a leading position on pop culture for the first time in probably uh, four decades. So what's who's more popular right now, Baby Yoda or the hissing cat? From. Yeah, I know. I good good question. I, I think the hiss, hissing cat has been knocked off its its, its uh, pedestal. Its pedestal and Kermit the Frog apparently that was the number one meme, uh, <laughs> and now Kermit's gone too. It's it's all Baby Yoda all the time. Baby Yoda all the time. Tony, always a pleasure. Don't forget subscribe. Tell your friends. Follow us everywhere. Follow us. Enjoy the rest of your week.